Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher Podcast 52. Isn't that amazing? A whole year. We've had a whole year of Celtic Preacher and I'm going to keep going for as long as I have listeners. I'm going to keep going into this next year. Uh, I'm really happy with uh, with the amount of listeners that I have. And um, by the way, if you would like to write to me, if you have any questions about anything, or if you would like me to cover particular topics, you can write to me at aCelticPreacher at gmail.com. It's one word, aCelticPreacher at gmail.com. And I would be happy to uh, try and, you know, respond to your your thoughts, your questions or topics that you would like me to, to cover during your talks, during these times together. Today, I'm going to be uh, looking at Jesus' advice when someone or a group rejects you. That's going to be our topic today. I thought about calling this talk when you have an enemy, but then I thought, well, maybe that's too strong. You know, maybe that's too much because often it's not so much that we have an enemy, but we have someone who opposes us or someone who's against us in some way. So that is, um, that's what we're going to be looking at this today. I was going to say this morning because it is my morning, but of course I know that for the listeners, it could be any time. Now, you know this, you've, if you've listened at all before, that Jesus' teaching is primarily about how to live in this world. It's how to navigate and make choices and respond to life, to the anxieties of life, to how we make decisions. And so when Jesus teaches his students, and of course we are the 21st century students, right? When he teaches his students... Jesus comes from the perspective that what comes naturally to us isn't always the best way, right? What we think is true and good and right isn't necessarily right. Now, at first thought, this sounds alarming because it's like, well, where does that leave me then, you know? If, if what comes naturally to me isn't necessarily the best way, what can I do about that? What if guilt seems like a natural way of responding much of the time? What if that's the way I am? And all of my life has been this way. I tend to be a very guilty person. Or what if anger is a close companion of mine? I'm always really ticked off about something. It's just things send me over the edge. I just seem to be that way. What if it comes naturally to me? Or what if anxiety or fear is a natural way for me to live in this world? I'm always assessing situations and I want to be safe and I want my loved ones safe and surely that's not wrong. No, no. It might not necessarily be wrong, but it's not always the best way. And so the call of Jesus, which is always the same, he's always saying the same thing. Will you come and follow me? Will you come and follow me? In other words, would you be, would you be open to a new way? Would you be willing to change your mind on this and take my lead and follow me? Would you be willing to change how you behave or change what you do or how you live? 
Would you be open to a new perspective? Would you follow me? When you get off track and I show you you're off track, would you take my lead? I think that's really the challenge of, of, of being a follower of Christ. It's about listening to another voice. When you get right down to the heart of being a follower of Christ, it's like, are you willing, are we willing to live Christ's way? So the church word is discipleship, which basically means living in ways. If you're a disciple, if you're a student of Jesus, you, you're, you're living in ways that you might not otherwise live because it's not always easy, right? It's not always natural to us. It's not always comfortable because Jesus is always pushing us beyond our capacities, so if we think that we're, well, I'm not really a very forgiving person, well, let's just see what happens there. Well, I don't really like myself too much. I've never really liked my, well, let's just see. Let's, it's like the Spirit of God whispers, well, maybe not just now, but that might change. That might change. So today we're in Luke chapter 9, the Gospel of Luke. Gospel as in the good news. What is the good news, Luke? Well, Dr. Luke tells us about this, this story, this encounter that Jesus' disciples had. So the story is, is that the disciples, the students, they're traveling with Jesus and they're on their way to Jerusalem and they pass by a Samaritan village. Now I'm going to give you a little, just a little bit background here to set the context. They're going to pass through the Samaritan village. And for our 21st century years, that doesn't mean anything to us. But 2,000 years ago, there was a lot of prejudice in Jesus' day against Samaritans. Now, in Jesus' day, there was a lot of racial prejudice. There was a lot of religious prejudice. It was violent. There was a lot of violence a lot of gender discrimination, and a lot of political tensions. Now, yeah, I know that you're thinking, well, has anything changed? Well, let, yes, I think things have changed. We still have all these problems, and, um, but I think things have changed. I think, I think things have changed. But it seems that the overall, the consciousness of humanity is very, very slow to mature. I mean, it's only in recent history that we decided that slavery was wrong. I mean, how many thousands of years did that take? I mean, it just seems that the consciousness of humanity just takes forever to mature. But anyway, Jesus uh, always addresses these sorts of societal problems um, and offers another way to live and respond. The disciples this morning are going to show us a classic example of how not to live. So they're traveling toward Jerusalem. The disciples go on up ahead and they enter the Samaritan village. Now remember, there's a lot of racial tension here. James and John do not like Samaritans. They were raised not liking Samaritans. This is like the old Protestant Catholic thing in Ireland, right? They're raised this way. 
Normally, Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. So there's all this racial religious tension. Although, the funny thing is, with the religious tension, they both agree that Abraham, remember Father Abraham? They both, both agree that Abraham was their ancestor, and they come from his line, the famous Father Abraham. They're all Jewish people, you know, they all trace their ancestral heritage back to Abraham. But there are slight differences. The, the Samaritans say that we are the true descendants and we need our own temple and we have our own priests and we have our own version of the Ten Commandments because we have the true faith, right? And then, of course, the other side said, no, no, we're, we're, we're the true faith, we're the true people of God, and so we have all this animosity between the two groups. So for years and years, these two groups avoided each other, even had their own districts or their own territories. So the mere fact that Jesus would approach a Samaritan village tells us how little Jesus pays attention to what side people are on and who is right and who is wrong. He's always, always crossing boundaries and territories. Remember, we saw this last week. It was the same thing. I mean, no good Jewish rabbi of 2,000 years ago would deliberately walk into Samaritan territory. Why is he doing that? Well, I mean, I think indirectly, indirectly, he's showing us people are people. Now, the people of the world may have their prejudices, but as far as God's concerned, people are people. And Jesus goes everywhere. So the disciples, he sent some of his disciples onto the village, onto the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Because it's a three-day journey to Jerusalem. So they're probably looking for overnight shelter or they're probably looking for supplies. We don't know really because the text is silent there. But whatever help the disciples ask for when they get to this village, whatever they needed, they're rejected. And the Samaritans say no. Verse 53. But the people there did not welcome him. Now, <laughs> I'm sure James and John were like, yeah, we could have told you this. We never ever did like these people in the first place. I mean, this is so typical, right? James and John, who never ever did like the Samaritans, are deeply offended when they're rejected. And this offense quickly turns to rage they come back to Jesus and they say to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? It's like, what? Yeah, verse 54. Lord, can, can, they have rejected us. They don't want you to come to this village. Can we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And it's, it's almost like they're thinking, well, you know, Jesus has got a lot of power. And he's gone around healing, and he does some amazing things. Maybe, maybe he would somehow let us use his power to get rid of these Samaritans once and for all. They're so annoyed. They want, of course, it's revenge, right? This is all about revenge. They're so offended. They're so angry. Who do these Samaritans think they are? They want to get even. They want to pay back. And so they say to Jesus, can we do this? 
possibly getting the idea from the Hebrew scripture, uh, what we would call the Old Testament, when some of the prophets of old would call down fire from heaven, prophets like Elijah. So these James and John are thinking, maybe we can do the same thing. Now look at Jesus' response. Jesus, it says, verse 56, rebuked them. And in the original language, you know, this was written in New Testament Greek, it's, it's more than criticize or condemning them. It's more prohibitive. It's more like, no, no. Don't even, we're not going to even go there, James and John. Can we get even, Lord? No. That's not the way we're going to live. No. We're not even going to, we're not even going to think about that. We're not even going to think about going in that direction. And Jesus is getting to the heart of the problem of the need to get even or one-upmanship or win or power over or defend, you know. I need to defend myself here. Let's get them. Now, of course, calling down fire from heaven is violent, it's extreme, and even we would say, to, oh, come on, guys, come on, James and John, lighten up a bit, show a little bit of understanding, have a little bit tolerance here, right? Our temptations uh, may be far more subtle, plus we don't, quite frankly, we don't even have power to call down fire from heaven even if we wanted to, right? But there are other ways that people take out revenge on one another. This need to put people in their place is alive and well in all ages. It begins very young. Uh, kids pay other kids back. It's a problem that many, many people struggle with, this need to get even. Now, of course, we've never called down fire from heaven, right? Because we can't. But there might be other ways that we can express frustration. Maybe we'd never even say anything directly to a person. You know, maybe we would never actually say something directly, but we might ignore someone, or we might pass on a bit of gossip and put that person in a bad light. Or if we have authority, we might cause someone to lose their job or destroy their career. We could try and, if we had some sort of clout and authority, we could try and destroy someone's career. We could go after them that way. Or we might turn other people against someone. I mean, there's lots and lots of little ways of getting someone, right? Very common in divorce, revenge. It's common in families, mother-in-laws, uh, daughter-in-laws, you know, or, or um, someone who married into the family somehow will never measure up. So over the years of these subtle little plays of revenge throughout the years. Yeah, the, the temptation is, is alive and well. Certainly, sometimes subtly, sometimes it's not subtly done. I mean, there are, sometimes it isn't subtle at all. It's a temptation to argue and justify ourselves or, or prove even to ourselves we're right. You know, Jesus never wasted time 
justifying himself. Even if it meant that he was misunderstood, which, by the way, Jesus was misunderstood often. But it's the idea that if you're right with yourself, if you know in your heart of hearts that you've done the right thing, and you're right with God, then that's enough because not everyone will agree and not everyone will understand. I remember early on as a student pastor, one of the best pieces of advice was, I was working for a guy who was, he was a pastor. He was always running around putting fires out. You know, if somebody said something, he would always run up to them and try and defend himself and prove himself to be right. And I remember the congregation president said to me, you know, Early on in your ministry, figure this out. Are you going to be one of these ministers that's always running around putting fires out? Are you always going to be running around trying to defend yourself and prove yourself? Proving that you're right. And I remember thinking at that time as a student pastor thinking, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live that way. I'd rather be misunderstood than always trying to defend myself and be right. See, that could have been an option for James and John. Okay, we're not welcome here. These people don't like us. Let's go. In fact, several times in the New Testament, but four times in the New Testament, Jesus told his disciples this. If somebody doesn't like you, if somebody doesn't welcome you, if somebody doesn't accept your message when you're traveling around and you're telling people about the love of God and you're, you're, you're purposeful in your ministry and you're out there and, and people reject you in any way, Jesus' advice was you shake the dust off your feet, which is a biblical way of saying, let it go. If you're not welcomed, just you shake the dust off your feet. Your conscience is clean. You did the right thing. If you're welcomed, Jesus said to the disciples, if, if you're welcomed by people, you stay and you teach. But if the message is rejected, you walk away with a clear conscience and you hold your head high because you did what you were responsible to do. Yeah, even Jesus before the word boundaries was invented, Jesus had great boundaries. He knew exactly what was his to do. And for his disciples, it's like, you learn how to shake the dust off your feet. Great advice, isn't it, for every generation? Shake it off. Don't let someone else's rejection hinder you in any way from moving forward. It's not a reflection on you. So good. Such good advice. It's so good that God takes time to correct us and, and put us back on track, isn't it? So good. Jesus You know, and the way that Jesus corrects, it's never shame-based. It's always clean. It's always straightforward. And it's always direct. And I think that this is how the Spirit of God works today. Now, obviously, we don't have Jesus here physically talking to us. But he did say, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit who will lead you into truth. So that's the idea that I have ways to communicate truth 
to you. Correction isn't about making us feel inadequate and guilty. That's not God. Correction is about, you know that path isn't helpful? Don't go there. That's more how God leads. It's that sense. You know that path you're on? Yeah, that one, that's not helpful. And God uses many ways to correct us. I mean, of course, our conscience, but also other people. God can use other people or a friend or a teaching or a book or a new thought that comes to your mind or a new perspective. There's many ways that the Spirit of God can, can lead and get our attention. But when we're corrected, it's never, it's never a negative because it always helps us. It's kind of similar to really good parents that want the best for their kids, right? They're never going to correct them just for the sake of it. Really good parents are never going to criticize their kids just for the sake of it, right? It's always to help them. Well, in a similar way, that's the way God is, in a similar way. It's like Jesus is saying, follow me. I'm asking you to follow my lead. I'm asking you to follow my lead. And that, in turn, will have a rippling effect on Everything, all your relationships, all your choices, all your decisions. It's like, James and John, I didn't ask you to spend time proving you're right and defending yourself and getting even. I'm asking you to follow my lead. So don't waste your time getting all defensive because that's no way to live. That's no way to live. It's a very straightforward, clean correction. Come on, guys. Get back on track. You lose your priority. And lose your priority, you lose your life. As an abundant life. It's always about following Jesus to abundant life. It's always about stopping ourselves from rushing ahead and being impulsive. I mean, these guys were so impulsive, weren't they? Let's just call fire down. I mean, that's all what it's all about. Impulsive. I know what to do here. I can fix this. I can correct this. Um... Did you check in first, James and John? Does this sound like the way that Jesus would do something? Does this sound like the way that Jesus would handle something? Yeah. It's like when in doubt, when in doubt, do what your highest, best, healthiest self would do. When in doubt. I had an interesting thought on discernment yesterday. It was when I was listening to a podcast. You know, discernment is about, it's all about figuring out the right thing to do. Um, what's the best way God lead me in this? Interesting thought on discernment. It was this whole idea of discernment when you're trying to figure out the best way or the best choice or the best way to respond or the right path. The comment was, as soon as we begin to think, how does this affect me, all discernment stops. Isn't that interesting? As soon as we begin to think, how does this affect me, all discernment stops. Because from that point on, it's not really about God's way or God's perspective or what is true or what is good. It's all about 
how how does how does the outcome affect me? It's all ego based, in other words. It's all just about me, what I want, what I would like to see. Whereas true discernment steps back a bit. How do, and, and, and that's not the, the first the first thing isn't how does this affect me the, 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 the heart cry is God what is the best way for me to think about this yeah we can learn a lot from James, James and John being impulsive it doesn't serve us well it's not the way of wisdom no matter how natural it might feel it's not going to lead us in the right path when we're offended when we're rejected, when we're angry. Yeah, and no doubt we've all experienced all of these emotions, right? At some point in our lives, we're, we're either experiencing them ourselves or we know someone who is. The call is always just pause, breathe, pray, wait. There's the heart cry. There's the prayer. God, help me. Help me to just pause. Help me to just not just rush on ahead and do what feels natural to me because I'll end up doing something like James and John. Help me just breathe and pray and wait for your leading, for your way. It's not easy, but it is so essential for discerning the path, isn't it? God, help us how to wait. Help us how to wait. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic preacher and listening to Jesus' wisdom on what do we do when we're rejected? Yeah, shake the dust off your feet. Don't let it hinder you and move on. Join with me again next week for another episode.